So right now, it is Everyday Lessons with Dr. Amala Luncheon and Taryn Callan. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Everyday Lessons Now. And I should say good evening, good morning, good night, wherever people are because they're listening from all over the world. world. We love that. We love that. So good night, good night. Hi. I I was about to say I'm I'm Dr. Marla Luncheon and Taryn Callender is my co-host. And we are excited to come back for another edition of Everyday Lessons now. The last time we left on a, on a high note with a very spirited discussion as we were talking about emotional intelligence and how it's relevant in the workplace. We had one question left over that I, I want to address. Uh, let's start with that and then we can jump into what we had planned to discuss today. So that question was, why do women in positions of power lack emotional intelligence, especially when managing men in a male dominated industry or any industry at that? So that was a, sort of a, a, a loaded question because I generally don't think that women lack emotional intelligence. I think perhaps the issue is being able to relate to um, men, especially in, in a male-dominated industry. I think that could be what the issue may be. Um, and it is a male-dominated industry because, like I said, I, I know the person who sent the question. And sometimes women find themselves in in uh, situations where I guess they're expected to be um, all things to all people, kind of, or many things to a lot of people. And so perhaps that's what it could be. But if if you're a woman who finds yourself in a situation where, you know, someone may think that um, it, it's a bit of a challenge working with you, then one of the first things you should probably do is set clear goals, you know, so that people understand what some of your issues are or, or what some of your expectations are, I should say. Um, and that I think would give you a good way to step into whatever your role is in that um, situation. What What do you think, Darren? I don't think um, women lack emotional intelligence in the workplace, especially ones who dominate. I think they operate from a space of learning the wrong things early on. It's been set so it's been certain guidelines have been set over mm-hmm. the years, and mm-hmm. people feel that we should still follow those guidelines and. There are a lot of women who are a hundred times more qualified in a particular job than a man. Mm-hmm. But he would not want to admit that to self because he's been taught to believe that he's the dominant one all the time. Right. But we've seen over the years that that has changed and it's mm-hmm. continuously changing. And if we're speaking on a place of, let's say, for instance, any in medical field, any medical profession, there are mm-hmm. some great surgeons who are men, right? Mm-hmm. And there are some medical professionals who are women. Mm-hmm. And you see the disconnect because of things like salary gaps and mm-hmm. the anger that men believe women show and, and use the excuse that they're not emotionally intelligent is the fact that they're really fighting to be financially, um, not only financially, just to be treated fairly mm-hmm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So it comes mm-hmm. off as arrogance. Mm-hmm. And then if we start to talk on an ethnic side of it, a black woman is automatically seen as aggressive if she mm-hmm. is smart and yeah. she sets boundaries. It's like you automatically say, why she has to be like that? Because she's telling you that this is what she expects of you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She doesn't want any fraternizing. She's here to do a job. And Mm -hmm. she might carry a little chip on her shoulder for the mere fact that she knows that she can do the job 10 times better than you, but gets 10 times less. So that in itself creates a wrong notion of 
Yeah, they're emotionally, they're not emotionally intelligent. They're complaining about everything. They're not complaining about everything. They're just fighting for what they believe is theirs and their piece of the pie. And that is something that's been changing over the years because I am in my line of work. Let's mm-hmm. say, for instance, in broadcasting, in, in the media world, in the entertainment world, it's still dominated by men. There's mm-hmm. some powerhouses in the business. Mm-hmm. You're talking, if you're talking entertainment in the top tier, you're talking the Beyonce's and, and the, the shares and, the, and, and, and right now, Mariah Carey. You understand? Well, Christmas is Mariah Carey time. She, there's no human being on the planet. Being man or woman who dominates more than, it's, 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 it's Mariah Carey in the world. Right. From, from Thanksgiving until January 1. That's yeah. just how it is. And he will have accepted that for the past yes. 10, 15 years, however long it's been running. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that is my take on it. So for somebody to say, I a woman, women are not, sorry, um, emotionally intelligent in the workplace. It's kind of, as you said, it was a loaded question to ask. And I think it's a, it's a misrepresentation of what really happens. It, it could be. It could be. It is. I think it's just a misrepresentation because there are some women who, and they, they're softer too because if you're taking like the, um, is it New Zealand, the prime minister, the president? Mm-hmm. Today, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. When you look at women like that, Mia Motley, mm-hmm. for instance, they come off as no aggression. They understand mm-hmm. the agenda. They know mm-hmm. their rules are, and they do their role. They, they mm-hmm. and they do it well. Yes. So somebody who is the if the vice if the the vice or the deputy prime minister of Barbados was male, I don't think he should feel any help, right? Because he should know that the person who is leading him is qualified to do so, right? And does it with right. grace, yeah? And you just have to respect that, yeah. I I think one of the things that uh, men can do though is um, sort of be advocates for women. I think women will. Actually, we really like that. As much as we want equality and whatever, we are happy when men advocate for us, when they see that, um, you know, there's inequality and that kind of thing, and they step up and they speak on our behalf. And in an interview I did on Thursday, I think it was, we were commenting on a post that someone, a guy did, and the post was saying men get jobs like CEO and manager and doctor and whatever, and women get jobs like female CEO, female doctor, female, you know, and they do the same thing. They do the same thing, but they're just not equal. And and you spoke about the pay gap and you didn't even know that I had spoken about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is something that is out there. And, you know, we're, we're happy when men advocate for us. Um, and if we can get to a place where we, we close the gap a little, we know that it's not going to be equal, probably not in our lifetime. But, you know, if we can get that gap to be a little closer, then we'd be happy with I, that I think as well. We're on, the, we're on the right road to closing the gap. The new generation coming, they don't speak in a language of measuring. Right. No measuring tape. Right. Like we have been measuring or using a measuring tape yes. and, and setting certain bars that was really unfair for many, mm-hmm. many years. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's stem from, if you're talking a laborer type vibe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from men went out and labored. Yes. And, yes. and it was a physical attribute that right. why they labored because they were taller, stronger. They could have done things that a woman mm-hmm. could do. Mm-hmm. So that led us to believe or led us to believe back then that they were the dominant force. But when the jobs started to change and mm-hmm. there's certain jobs that don't require physical labor, but mm-hmm. more of a intellectual understanding of things and, and let's say, for instance, numbers or the inventing of things. Mm-hmm. The approach was different and women kind of dominated. When you go back to play, like when you talk in psychology, for instance, and I was just reading on that recently because of some new stuff that I'm doing. Some of the first set of psychiatrists were women, but they were never given doctorates. Right. Yes. Because back then, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> a doctorate was only for a man. Mm-hmm. And that in itself was unfair. So they struggled mm-hmm. for many years to even become a doctor. Right. And knowing exactly what a man would have known. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, you saw where they discovered new ways, new methods, and, and, and finding out or analyzing people or understanding the mind way better than a man did mm-hmm. or was ever credited. Mm-hmm. because that's just how it was. Right. But I'm thinking right. that those gaps are closing down and mm-hmm. in the generation of my children, you're not going to see that. And men too, the new age man should be willing to, I had this discussion recently too, the new age man should be willing to accept that his partner might be a little more, how to put it, um, his partner might be better qualified mm-hmm. certain things than him. And mm-hmm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things men have to understand. It's yes. okay. You don't yes, need to beat up yourself about it. If you meet someone no. who is in a position that is higher than yours, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Respect mm-hmm. them the same way you respect your mother because um, every mother is a man's CEO. Mm-hmm. Indeed. He was born. Indeed. <laughs> but he never did. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. When he was born, you knew that that is the matriarch of the right. world. That right. That is the boss. That is the CEO, the manager, the supervisor. Everybody. everybody. And you never questioned it. Right. Because why? You felt as though that's the person who nurtured you. Yeah. Who, who breastfed you. And mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, okay, cool. That's mommy. But mm-hmm. if being fair, and you'll really, as we always say, and you are self-aware and you understand the time that we live in now, you can honestly respect a woman who is in a a higher position than you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and give her the respect that she deserves. And that's mm-hmm. what it boils down to. It's about, it boils down to respect and understanding. And once we can get there as men, I think the other hurdle is just going to be easy. It's just going to become a regular day. All right. All right. So I guess we can wrap up that one for now. And then the, what I wanted to talk about this week was, I, re- I forgot that question. And that was a real kind of question for a real boy. <laughs> it, no, it really, it really was happy. loaded. Yeah, I'm, and I'm uncomfortable with it too because I my co-host is a woman. So when the man, and I'm sure it's a male person asked that question. So yes. now I'm left to be like, should I defend the men or <laughs> should I just speak truth? Or that was kind of listen. That one was and it no kind of register. Like wow, what a question is. A good thing is not is not a forum where we I now have to justify everything I say to a panel right. of fifteen men sending sending voice notes. So. <laughs> Writing comments, saying, are you insane? And the other day, thank God that we can have the discussion and move on. Yeah, so yeah. That's my yeah. personal opinion. Right. Um, any men who are listening, some might not agree. Mm-hmm. And I can more than bet that the men who don't agree are upwards of 55. Mm-hmm. I will just throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, we don't have to find out via comments. <laughs> Hopefully. Because, because we may have to address the comments again next week. But yes. So for this week, I wanted to talk a little about, well, a lot about self-preservation because of the, of the current climate that we find ourselves in. And um, coming off to one uh, from the, the heels of the previous podcast, um, you know, listening to the tone that was set and, you know, having to deal with people who live in different zip codes and so on. And Itana spoke about it in, in her song, um, Wrong Address. So we, we're very familiar with it in the Caribbean as well, not not um i don't think it's as prevalent as it is here it, it may not necessarily be zoned and directed that way but you know we have some of the same issues and now we find ourselves in a time where we're learning the greek alphabet in a way that we didn't plan to so we're here running down these variants as as covid-19 goes down and um you know we're forced to think of how we're going to keep ourselves how we're going to maintain our sanity and how we're going to progress 
you know, so in our current climate, I wanted to talk a little bit about how we address or how we are addressing self-preservation. And if we think about self-preservation, meaning literally what self-preservation is, and it comes from a time when, you know, people were hunters and gatherers. And so you had to make sure that you weren't eaten by something that was larger than you were. So like a bear or a lion or something. Um, and, and if you think of that self-preservation in a workplace setting or in a family setting, you know, um, you want to think of what are some of the things that you can do to make sure that you keep yourself in the way that you currently are one or two, have an improved sense of self as you go along. So self-preservation could be defined as, the, and this is a bit wordy, but I, I liked it because I wanted to discuss it. So I, I took it anyway. It can be defined as the maximization of the probability of survival in a finite horizon model where each period the decision maker must choose a risky prospect from a feasible set of such prospects and become extinct if his accumulated fortune becomes non-positive. And I'll read that again just because it's wordy. The maximization of the probability of survival in a finite horizon model where in each period the decision maker must choose a risky prospect from a feasible set of prospects and becomes extinct if his accumulated fortune becomes non-positive. So that makes me think of Squid Game because they were going through and getting these challenges. And if you haven't seen Squid Game um, listeners, I'm sorry, but you, you'll get it here. So they were going through and each challenge became more and more um, serious and more people lost their lives and so on. And so you had to think of how am I going to preserve myself to get to the end of this game? And this is a similar thing here in life because at the end of the day, some of us ended up discussing the fact that Squid Game was really about life. And in many cases, you know, you, you may not have been in a similar situation where you were, you know, like millions of dollars in debt or whatever. But if you are in a situation where you're going to work to survive, then you might be in Squid Game. If you are in a situation where um, your very next decision determines what your outcome is going to be tonight, not tomorrow or 10 years from now. You live in the squid game. And the so reality it, show us most of us are living in the squid game. Right, right. And and it's something that, you know, we ought to think about what are some of the things that we can do to help preserve ourselves. And I, I wanted to just mention that from a sociological perspective, Hobbes, who's a sociological thinker, was a sociological thinker, suggested that the primary bond that holds society together is the promise of security. So we think like there's strength in numbers. We say that there are things that we say that we've got from years gone by. We keep saying those things and we, we've internalized them. And we like to say on this show that, you know, we need to unlearn some things. And, you know, we go back to things and we hold on to them and we, we really have to ponder about those. So he says that once this, um, once we hold on to this, promise of security if it's broken the individual is thrust into a state of nature that is mitigated by the establishment of a common power so it's only when we now identify either a we are all stronger than everyone that we're fighting against and we we hold that so we see things um like the black lives matter movement and those kinds of things coming up you know that that's really a form of self-preservation because we look to people 
who are of like mind and who are going to help us along in this struggle we find ourselves in. Um, and there's a social function to self-preservation, you know, and we want to think about it in terms of emotions and that um, self-conscious emotions in particular, things like shame-related emotions, are experienced when the fundamental goal of maintaining a positive social self is threatened. So if you find yourself in a situation where um, your back is against the wall, or if you think that your existence is threatened or something like that, and you feel a sense of shame or, or your, your existence is threatened, like I said, then you would end up thinking, well, how do I hold on to what little I have left? Because if your existence is threatened, it means you feel that, you know, you're at the end of the rope. Um, so what do you do in situations like that? And so it's important for us to understand um, what are some of the things that we can do to preserve ourselves. And well-being and self-care are some of the things that we think of when we think of self-preservation. And in a workplace setting, one of the first things you'd want to do is minimize burnout. Because you're in a situation where you're exhausted because now, as we're dealing with this great, um, the great resignation, as it's called, people are leaving workplaces in droves because, you know, they figure that something better could be done. They don't know what that something is, but they're leaving what they currently have because there's, there must be something better. You know, there must be a different level of existence someplace. And that is putting a strain on people who are left to pick up the slack when people are gone. And so you are emotionally burnt out. You're physically burnt out because now you're doing your job plus the job that was left behind from people who've quit. And you may not necessarily be given the coping tools at work to deal with this. So what do you do? Um, you also want to think of, if you work in a hospital right now, that is it's probably one of the toughest places to be because you are seeing people dying all around you. And you still have to go home. You still have to be a whole person, like I like to say. You know, you have to show up as your whole self in all of your other capacities. So you have to show up as a mother. You have to show up in whatever your role is at the hospital. You have to be a friend. And people are relying on you. So now you could end up with what is called compassion fatigue. Because you are now expected to just be compassionate in every facet of your life. But, you know, there's only so much compassion that one person could give and then of course you could be traumatized and how do you deal with stuff like that so against that heavy backdrop that's the kind of thing that very heavy uh, backdrop yes backdrop yes is uh, a 40 foot container <laughs> it's very very heavy <laughs> but but it's necessary because it's the reality that we find ourselves in and and, and in each of those situations um if we are dealing with emotions those are all emotional situations. And those are all situations that you're expected to have soft skills to deal with. And often you're not given those soft skills. Yes, call it, I see you raising your hand. Oh, you're muted. Sorry about that. I think that a lot of people don't recognize burnout. Right. To... They don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Three, they don't want to admit, admit that they need it. help. Right. Yeah, they don't want mm -hmm. to admit. Mm -hmm. Four, they don't want to be told about it. Mm -hmm. 
and five, they figure, oh, it'll go away. I'll mm-hmm. get better. Oh, mm-hmm. it's nothing. It's nothing. Right. I'll, have a, I'll have a glass of wine. It, it's it's okay. I'll be better tomorrow. I'm just mm-hmm. going through something now. They pissed me off at work. I'm just going through something. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking specifically of my daughter. She mm-hmm. worked for a radio network. And I told her probably three years ago, you need to be careful. Mm-hmm. Because I see that you are going to be overwhelmed. You already are. And you're going to experience severe burnout. Mm-hmm. And she did. And she, to the point where it was, it was a bad scene. She went in and told him, I quit because it began to really work on her and sizzle, not just mm-hmm. burn out, but mm-hmm. sizzle and flame. And just, it, it, it became very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And she had to eventually quit. November 1st was the day, her final day there. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to admit it. She didn't want to admit it. She says, oh, I'll be fine. It'll go away, uh, this and that and this and that. But her temper was short. She had no patience. Everything was a problem. It just everything. And I, I said. And and it probably is good that you recognized it because in her yes. in her head, she was probably just doing her job and functioning in the best way yes. that she knew how because yes. Yes. You, you grow so accustomed to being this puppet so you perform in one place, you know, the way you should yes. you perform someplace else. And you have, Absolutely. you're trying now to keep all the balls in the air. And, you know, it that right. is sometimes is a tough position to be in. Yes. And if you're in a situation where you are the breadwinner or, or your salary is an integral part of the household, so you can't just stay home, then, right. you know, you oftentimes could end up sacrificing yourself. And not recognizing it as burnout, you probably like, oh, well, you know, we're a little bit overworked and, you know, we're short staffed with it. And you begin to go around finding all these yes. excuses or justification. Right. And you do not take the time to stop and look at, look at self. Yes. So what, what we've done, we've curated a list of 10 things that you, because we, we love lists. So <laughs> we have 10 things that you can do. You know, to ensure self-preservation. And um, I, I will say that burnout is a concern for managers because it could be it could be physical where you can actually see someone who looks exhausted. And if you're paying attention to the cues, you can see your staff looking exhausted and you can say something to somebody. If it's emotional, you may not know because people are still they can still come in with a smile. They can still, and now if you're wearing a mask, you probably own, you're only seeing half of their face, so you don't know. You you may not be able to read everything in their eyes, you know. But it it really is a genuine concern for managers. You want to look at the workload, the the hours. Those things can help some someone determine whether or not they are dealing with burnout. Um, the environment. If you still have daily like no things should have changed a little bit in your work environment and i'm saying a little bit things should have changed a little in the work environment where if you had targets let's say hard targets that you had to meet and you would put them up on a whiteboard every day um or let's say every monday and people go in they see what their targets are and you know then they move on from there the situation that we're in now 
there should be a little bit of a change where perhaps instead of putting up the numbers, you you put up maybe a, a smiley face where you ask people to check in, you know, uh, and put a sliding scale. So from one to 10, how are you feeling this week? That sort of thing. So you, you humanize it and it's not just a numbers game. Those things could be helpful. And then you want to find out how those things, how, how something like burnout translates from someone's work life to their home life to their social life. Because like I said, if you are being pulled in all these different directions, then something is going to give. So how do you preserve yourself so that you can function optimally in every single situation that you're expected to be in? So we've divided them into four different sections. So the first one is work. So under work, we have two. And the first one is that you need to set boundaries. So for instance, if you are a woman in the workplace, then you need to define for yourself, your co-workers, your manager, and the organization who you are. So you could be um, a working mother, or you could be a mother who works, and those things are different. So you want to define who you are so everyone around you understands. Um, in your case, Darren, you're a working father. So people understand that, you know, you have duties outside of the workplace that you have to get to. And it's okay to say those things in the beginning or or whenever they need to be said. It may not be in the beginning because things may come up after you have the post um, or life circumstances may change and you have, you know, different roles as, as children grow older, as parents age. There are different things that people are expected to be because someone could move from being um, just a, a supervisor in, in a situation to being a caregiver at home to an aging parent, as well as being in a supervisory position at work. And so you need to say something because now you can't stay after seven to get stuff done because now it's dinner time at home and you're responsible for preparing the meals, etc. So we ought to be able to set those boundaries and let people understand where we are. I'll let you weigh in here. Yes. And um, I can use myself as an example. In... The scenarios that you've painted is different in a different setting, a different mm-hmm. work setting. Mm-hmm. In the case of retail, mm-hmm. um, some of the things you've said might work definitely. But in respect, with respect to like what I do, where as a creative, mm-hmm. everything changes. Mm-hmm. Conversation changes as a creative. Mm-hmm. A creative that is burnt out, you have, you have to remember, you can't. There's no, you can't rely on anything. Somebody who's in a in a in a in a retail space or in a in a workspace where you work for a salary, mm-hmm. where whether you burned out or not, once you get once you get there, at the end of the month you're going to be paid. Right. At the end of a fortnight you're going to be paid. Mm-hmm. But as a creative, the conversation changes. And I'll use me as an example just for the benefit of the listeners. I had suffered a major setback some years ago, back in uh, 2016, when I had my daughter who was premature and my dad lost his legs. Everything happened within the space of 18 days. Mm-hmm. And I was still expected to create, be on air for 6 o'clock in the morning. And my routine started. I had to get up at 3 a.m. to make sure that I can go and get milk from her. Her mom had to press, um, pump milk after then deliver it to emergency room. Then leave from there and go take care of my dad because he didn't want anybody to 
to touch him. Mm-hmm. He was having some issues because he felt as though his man was gone. He lost his two legs at the same time. So he mm-hmm. was going through some mental stuff as well. And I was expected, as you say, to, to be that person, to take care of everybody and still come on air mm-hmm. for six o'clock for the people who listen, who right. need to have that smile in the morning and go to work. And I had to do it with a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was no room for a smile. And mm-hmm. you had to do it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we pointed out, you said boundaries. Boundaries, and in a case like that, I, was, I didn't need boundaries. The next point is what was needed, asking for help. Mm-hmm. People need to be comfortable in asking for help. And in right. that time is when I realized, that was my personal experience, when I, I found out how important asking for help is. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I was able to articulate how I was feeling to the right people. Right. And they were able to say, listen, bro, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. How about doing this? So asking for help is very important. Setting mm-hmm. boundaries and in, in how you explain this and how you, how you describe it is perfect, especially for a woman and to a man. Because women, more, more importantly, though, have to really tell themselves who, who they are. Are they a mm-hmm. working right. mother, as you said, or your mother mm-hmm. who's working? Mm-hmm. And many to also do that as well because mm-hmm. there are some instances where you save the balances and their work-life balance is something we talk about all the time. If mm-hmm. you're not willing to compromise, yes, you want to be the best employee ever, but mm-hmm. you also want to be the best father, the best husband, mm-hmm. the best provider. And you mm-hmm. can't do that if you don't have balance because right. sometimes you might just have to tell the workmates Listen, I can't go to drink this evening because mm-hmm. I've already made plans and I have this nice dinner set up for the family and I want to do that. So this is, that is important. So we have to be careful when we speaking on, especially where work is concerned, because especially in the new world, there's so much different types of jobs now. Mm-hmm. There are people who now forced to work at home. Mm-hmm. Their home life was never good. Right. Right. So <laughs> they are home, having a tough time so with that. A tough yes. time because mm-hmm. they, they, they work to avoid home. Yeah, exactly. They exactly. out. Yes. Now they're forced that they have to work at home because right. of the laws or whatever. Yes. So yes. they're battling it too. Yes, they're still employed. There's people mm-hmm. who are employed, gainfully employed at home, but mm-hmm. they're either dying inside because mm-hmm. home is not where they want to be because home, mm-hmm. it is not safe. It's toxic. It's abusive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. these are the things that's going on. So in a case like that, how can somebody set boundaries there? Right. <laughs> it's going to be a little hard. Yes. So you didn't have to ask for help, but who mm-hmm. do you ask for help? Mm-hmm. So this is where um, you have to be. So we we on the right we on the right track. These are the things that we really need to go. And that was two of the ten. So mm-hmm. we can move on. Right, right. So the next uh, set fall on well, the next one actually falls on the spiritual or religious. And number three is meditation or prayer. And I say meditation or prayer because um you know people are given to different things and and people have different beliefs. But you want to find something that centers you outside of yourself. So that may be, and meditation is is different for different people. So you could sit for 10 minutes and and have your mind be blank. You could sit sit for 10 minutes and have a mantra that you say. Um, You can have several things that you say. You can listen to a particular kind of music that is soothing and calming and whatever. But it, it, it is meant to get your spiritual self to understand Hey, there is something greater than me. So mm-hmm. that is number three. Um, I do. Mine is music. I just want to share that with the people. I and you know that I I listen to gospel every every morning from four o'clock. That's how mm-hmm. I start my day, and then I go for my morning hill run. So mm-hmm. you have to find what is best. Something for you. that works. Yes, yes. Um, the next set come on the physical. So on the physical, number four is rest. And I think that we often 
um, disregard, you know, how important rest is. And I had this conversation at work yesterday where I was saying to somebody, you know, perhaps you need to rest. He's like, no, I'll sleep on a bed. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. On Luna as well. That's a West Indian thing. Sleep. Yes. And he is West Indian. He is West Indian. It's a West Indian thing. Sleep when you're dead. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we push ourselves to the limit most times, you know, and it's then when you're overly exhausted and you try to pull back a few things that you realize, wow, I needed that break. But as I said to him, if you don't stop the rest, then your body's going to do it for you. And sometimes that's a bit of a hill to get back up because when your body shuts down, it really shuts down. And, you know, if you keep going and going and going, there, there may be, may be a little bit of a problem. So number four is rest. Number five is exercise. And some people don't like to hear the word exercise because they immediately think of this drill sergeant. And, and all the things that could go wrong and having to do burpees, you know, and that sort of thing. Burpees are nobody's favorite and, and burpees don't like us either. But, you know, we, we have to, you have to exercise because it's proven that exercise is good for mental health. Um, so not just physical, but exercise is also good for your mental health. And so whatever it is you do in terms of exercise, you can do something really simple, like just getting bottles of water and doing like arm curls you know doesn't have to be 10 pound weights or 25 pound weights you don't have to go to a gym or whatever but you need to do something physical that allows you to bring your mind into a self-care space was that that's for blood circulation a lot of people use the excuse that i don't have time right they always don't have time to exercise because they don't understand the importance how important it is in daily life yeah, but if you're in a workspace, now you can ask for um, like a standing desk. Um, I'm pretty sure that your your boss or supervisor, manager, whomever is not going to say, no, absolutely not. You can't have a standing desk, you know, just so you get your circulation going. There, there are little things that, that you can do um, to have things like exercise incorporated into your daily routine. Number six is another big one, and that's diet, because really, you are what you eat, you know, and um, I, I think we, I mean, we could spend a day talking about dieting, but it's, it's not about being preachy, but these are things that you should consider when you're thinking of self-preservation. So if on more than one occasion, you've had to visit your doctor and he's told you that your cholesterol is high. And you have not taken the time to actually consider what makes your cholesterol high or what are some of the things that you could do. If you're diabetic and you don't take the time to figure out what are the things you could avoid or what are alternatives that you could replace, because, you know, sometimes we we think of what we have to give up, but what are we going to gain? Because self-preservation is really about staying here for the long haul. So what are some of the things that you could gain by you know, making slight changes in, in your diet? Think about what your about, was that? Think about your family. Yeah, because exactly. Exactly. You said self-preservation, what you can gain, you can gain more time with your family. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. If you can make a simple change, like if you like fizzy drinks and you can have fizzy water, flavored fizzy water with zero sugar. So, you know, and it may not have to be flavored at all. If you, if, if the fizz is what you crave, just regular fizzy water could be nice. And that is something that is simple, doesn't cost you much, might not cost you anything more than you're actually paying now for all the carbonated drinks. 
but your doctor might be happy and then your, your body, body will thank you for mm-hmm. sure for yes. sure your body will thank you yes you know so so your diet um also if you can look at things that are that might be organic and i mean it, it's funny to us that those of us who lived in the caribbean or who live in the caribbean still when we hear people talk about organic food because everything we eat is organic if we grow it you know so you might want to look into having a little kitchen garden so whether it is you grow your um seasonings you know those those um things like basil and and thyme and you know that kind Mm -hmm. of thing you can grow stuff like that and that's organic so you start with one little thing you add that to your diet um you swap out like i said your your fizzy drinks for water um you may want to have one less spoon of sugar in coffee you know whatever um but just pay attention to it if you just continue and it's mindless that's where the problem is but if you focused on it and, you know, you, you're concerned about what you put into your body and the effects that it could have, then you, I think you'd be on the right track. It's like a coach one to once a trainer once. I had a conversation with him one time and he told me this and I'll never forget it. He said he never encourages people to diet. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? He said, listen, he said, if you start a routine, one that you enjoy and you start enjoying it more and more, you understand? He said, good eating is going to be a byproduct of how you feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. catch it he said if you because mm-hmm. when you realize listen yesterday i ran three miles today i could only run one what did mm-hmm. i eat last night right. you start to tell yourself oh that's why it slowed me mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. so he said automatically the byproduct of you wanting to work and wanting to get better will be it will automatically send something to your head to say listen let me do eat this let me do eat that so mm-hmm. he said he never encourages it. he tells you at the beginning you eat whatever man but he trains you so that right. you really train in your mind. Right. Says, when it gets to a point when you realize, now nah, let me do that again because right. I cannot go there tomorrow and not do these things. And he motivates you in such a way where he wants you to get better. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, I found it to be a real brilliant program when I first met him. And I, when you think about it, not every trainer does that. You know, some people get into this business and it's like, this is all about, yeah, you come at me, I, I train you hard and you pay me and you go your way. Mm-hmm. He was really mm-hmm. connected to his the people he trained and I, I studied with him for quite a while and I found it was real interested in his methods and his methods work it's a little longer mm-hmm. because that's when he also taught me about the um the bounty scenario the bounty paper he said mm-hmm. when you buy a roll of bounty paper mm-hmm. for the first week if you pull off one mm-hmm. two every day you pull off one he said when mm-hmm. you come back you buy it Sunday he said the following Sunday it looks the same it looks mm-hmm. like you didn't use it at all right. but you use that same bounty for 30 days Mm-hmm. It's gonna come down to nothing, right? Right, and right. that's what losing weight is doing mm-hmm. it consistently every day, right? Right, and mm-hmm. I found that analogy was to be so amazing. So, I mm-hmm. always tell people, you when you want to do it and you make up your mind that that's what you want to do, the mm-hmm. byproduct will always be nice. And I say it's the same thing with work and success. If you if you're an artist and you're really passionate about your art and you continue doing it every day, the byproduct is going to be you're going to be successful, the money's mm-hmm. going to come because the greater your art, the more people will want it, the more people want it. The, is the more you can charge. Right. So it's like a natural right. progression. Mm-hmm. This is, I just wanted to mention that when you spoke about the fitness and, and trying to get it, it's about you really wanting it. And mm-hmm. that's some of the things that you have to do. You have to also want it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why it's something you want to, you, you need to want self-preservation. After it's pointed out to you, then you need to say, oh, maybe there are a couple of things that I could change here. Maybe there are things that I could do differently. Um, then a next set 
uh, we, those are psychological things that you could do for self-preservation. And the first one, which is number seven, is support circles, have support circles. Support circles are important in every facet of your life because one, they help you to be accountable. Um, so if you have an accountability partner, life becomes so much easier. If you're only responsible for what you do and, you know, it really doesn't matter. You, you don't have to tell anybody anything. You answer to no one and that sort of thing. Then whether you do it or not, it's not going to make a difference. But like in the scenario where you want to lose weight, if you have a coach or if you have someone who, with whom you are training and they tell you, okay, I'm going to pick you up at six every morning or whatever, and you are not ready or today you don't feel like going. Just having someone on that journey with you makes it so much easier. It motivates you. And it, yes, it motivates you. And when you start to get your successes, you have someone to share them with. Mm -hmm. And in life in general, even if you have uh, whatever goal you're trying to, to accomplish, if you say that to someone and someone can come back and say, but how's that going? You know, then you're like, oh, no, you know, I fell off. Or, but I'm so happy that you asked me because now that I know somebody cares, I can get up and, and start working on it again. How often has that happened in your life? You know, where you know you're working on something, but it's a small thing or you might think it's a small thing and you might have mentioned it to somebody. And they ask you out of the blue and it comes most times at a time when you were thinking, ah, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so just having... Just having an accountability partner is a big deal. It's a big deal. And your support circles may look different depending on what you're trying to accomplish, depending on what your job is, depending on where you are in life. So your support circle may be a church group where you have Bible study or men's meeting or whatever. It may be that you have a counselor that you go to once a week, once a fortnight, whatever. What's that? To be a barber, the hairdresser. Exactly. Right, exactly. So someone with whom you can share stuff, but you find it to be a sense of support. That is incredibly important. Number eight, one of our favorites is journaling. I mean, we talk about journaling like somebody pays us to journal. <laughs> but if, if somebody was, we'd be rich. Right? Because I always tell people it is the best way to, yes. to resolve Get conflict. your stuff down. Yeah. Yeah. Journaling is the best way. You have to you have to be able to discuss what you're feeling and you may not want to discuss it with someone. So write your own thoughts down, go back and read those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you could find that one, it wasn't that serious. Or two, if you read it years from now, you're like, wow, I'm so happy I wrote that down. And I mean it happens a lot to me because I, I write everything down. When I go to journal, I journal 11.30 at night. And I have an alarm on my phone that says journal. So by 11.30, my day should have wound down, you know, it'd be almost in the next day at this point. And so, you know, I jump in and it's digital. So I log in um, and, you know, I type things, specific things about the day, how the day went. I try to be present in my day. So I can remember at 11.30 at night, what I had for breakfast, if I had breakfast at all, because sometimes I, I run without breakfast. Um, then, you know, how my day went, talk about my drive to work, you know, whatever. Um, who were the people I encountered during the day, when I spoke to my mom, what she said, when I spoke to my dad, what he said, you know, whatever, if I spoke to friends. 
And if anything significant happens, I make sure anything outside of the ordinary, I make sure to give that some prominence in there. And the lucky thing for me is that I can search, I can do a search. So like, let's say, you know, a Google search or whatever that it's in depth. So I can jump in and I can search intentional talk radio. And then it will pull up all the times that I journal about intentional talk radio. So if I'm looking for something, it really is a diary indeed in the true sense of the word, but that journaling feature is not to be discounted or discredited. It is so important. So important. And I started doing it as a way to, better communicate Mm -hmm. because I was having issues in articulating how I felt with certain situations and I found it very helpful especially in a case when you're angry Mm -hmm. I think it's great for conflict resolution Mm -hmm. where instead of answering someone in the moment if you know you're upset go write down how you feel in that moment Mm -hmm. and revisit it before you answer them and sometimes inside there you can realize that listen as you said, it was really that important and maybe mm-hmm. I, I took it the wrong way. And you can ask the right questions. You can then go and express how you feel the right way. So you would you eliminate the conflict that you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Because for many, especially um, men, it's something that um, over the past, I'm, I'm proud that I say it now so, so calmly. And people think I'm a general addict, but I'm not. I'm still learning every day, trying to be better every day. Mm-hmm. Listening actively. Mm-hmm. That is something I, I'm, I'm, I so love that term because I know I struggled with it for so many years. I just mm-hmm. used to listen to answer. You tell me right. something, I just want to answer you. I just, I just want to get my point across. And that is not really the right approach. That is not, and, and it, that will take us into the next one, which is we, what we talk about all the time to being self-aware. Mm-hmm. So when you are self-aware, you could then tell yourself these things and that's what, so journaling and being self-aware kind of comes hand in hand because you're self-aware, self-aware enough to know that you can journal. And mm-hmm. journaling kind of takes you down a notch. So when you reread what you've been feeling, it mm-hmm. kind of brings you down and make you understand exactly mm-hmm. how you're feeling in the moment. And as you said, mm-hmm. in the presence, in the present moment, because a lot of times we don't enjoy the now. We so anxious right. to finish the day, to get to work or to finish work or to mm-hmm. do what needs to be done. We don't ever stop and appreciate the now, the littlest things and exercise that I always encourage everybody to do is, is the thankful, like the grateful exercise. Mm-hmm. At least one or two months per year, you put it aside and you write down every day three things you've been grateful for in that month. Mm-hmm. And then leave it alone. Don't look at it and go back halfway into the next month. Go and read everything that you were grateful for the month before that. And I'm guaranteeing you. You're going to, it's going to be an eye opener. You're going to smile with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, you know, you hear the trumpet horn. <laughs> you know, the same <laughs> trumpet. You're going to hear these trumpets. Pam, pam, and ah, you're going to feel like, wow. Mm-hmm. And when I first did it the first time, listen, I cried because mm-hmm. it was such a beautiful moment when you realize, listen, this exercise is amazing. You can mm-hmm. actually go and watch to see the things you're good. And I'm talking about the littlest of things. Yeah. In the supermarket and, there was something he was looking for. And you know, there are days when things just happen. Like mm-hmm. you leave home to go to the mall. You pull up in the mall, you get the pack that you wanted. Right. You come out, you go into the store. Oh my God, as you walk to the register, you're the first person in line and you're back out. That is right. something to be grateful for. Right. For granted. Right. Because yeah. it's just like it just it's happened. It's a small thing. It's yeah. a small thing. But you mm-hmm. write that down and you revisit mm-hmm. that a day when you're having the worst day ever and you read, mm-hmm. oh, Last month on this date, this mm-hmm. is what happened. It's going to put mm-hmm. a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are times sometimes, but when you're doing that exercise, 
Sometimes there are days when you struggle. You're like, well, what am I really grateful for today? And then you start to write things like grateful for waking up, grateful because now you, you, you're reaching, you're right? Reaching. You start to reach. Yes. It yes. There, there, by, yes. By the eighth or ninth day, you start to go, <laughs> what am I grateful for today? Okay, right. I got up. Okay, I got up. And you start to, yes. Like, okay, I just, uh, uh, and, but when you really think about it, right. There's always that's the, probably, and that's probably the first thing you should be grateful for waking up. So maybe we ought to start with, I woke up today and then, you know, things get layered onto that. And then oh. those things actually become, you know, so much easier as, as we go along. But as you were saying with self-awareness, if you think of who you are in relation to every situation that you find yourself in, that's where you can really look at how self-aware you are. Are you able to see yourself like, look, is like looking at yourself in a, in a picture frame? Oh, wow. I could have, moved a little to the left or I did that or whatever, you know, you're able to analyze and sometimes overanalyze, which could be good. It helps you to understand who you are in relation to every other role that you have to play in life or role that you are playing in life and being able to see how you relate to your coworkers, your family, um, you know, whether you are being selfish or you being overbearing or you know any of those things you want to make sure that you check those things at the door because now you realize you are related to someone else or to something else and it's not just about you so that self-awareness is is incredibly important if you want to talk about how you can do um how you can work on self-preservation determining who you are as a person and number 10 is accepting the things that you cannot change and being okay with that. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes a tough one for people because, you know, you see all these memes about, oh, I, I can't accept the things. I, I, I can't accept the things um, that I won't change. So I'm going to change the things that I accept. <laughs> you know, there, there's so many, there's so many ways that people go about it, but you have to be okay with understanding that not everything is going to go your way there are things you're going to lose sometimes there are things you're going to be okay and you need to and and you need to be okay with that so you have to train your mind to understand this is a fight that you know maybe it's not worth all the marbles one of life's hardest lessons and listen we i i I am somebody who's going to wave that flag for that in particular because where as a man a lot of men, and we have seen it, especially in, in, not only in the Caribbean, but around the world, where relationships are concerned, they can't accept parts of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you understand? Like, like you in a relationship with someone and it gets to the end and somebody's articulating to you why it's at the end and mm-hmm. you can't accept that it actually is the end. Mm-hmm. And I, I employ everybody to, to sometimes just take two steps back and really look at it because accepting something that you can change is very important and you need to be okay with it because that too is okay. Losing mm-hmm. is okay. We mm-hmm. need to encourage people. And, and as, as a parent, you have to know how to articulate that to your children that if mm-hmm. you did not, and I just, just went through a whole, and you know that, like the past two months of trying mm-hmm. to, to let my daughter know that it's okay to get the second choice as opposed to the first. Right. You understand? Right. It's very mm-hmm. important to do that. Because you can, if you if you're not careful, that too can leave you down a, a rabbit hole that is hard to come back from. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I encourage everybody to really not don't don't try and change the words of it to fit your narrative. That's right. what you're talking about. They try yes. to change it around to okay. Well, if I have to do this, let me do right. it. No, that's not what it is. No, you have to be able to accept it because there's some things we can't change. Can change. That is one. Mm-hmm. Some people has have not gotten over the 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 loss the losing somebody, mm-hmm. and that is hard. And mm-hmm. something my dad told me. And I, it, it, I hold on to it all the time. He said it very, very early in my life. He said a man's job, I don't know how true it is. This is something he told me. A man's job is preparing his children for his departure. Mm-hmm. And when you've done that, you have fulfilled your three scores and ten. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how true it is. It's something that mm-hmm. I, but I am looking into it now. But the more you think about it is if you can really live a joyful and fruitful life with your family and get them and get your children to the point where they feel, yes, I've enjoyed my parents. I had everything I could have learned or got or get from them. I got it. Mm-hmm. So if I have to say goodbye now, I am okay with saying mm-hmm. goodbye. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's morbid mm-hmm. to talk about, but of course, of course. But it, it's not something that we should shy away from because you know death is a crucial part of life. As Edwin sings, yeah. you know, so we we have to be able to to deal with that because death is a part of life, and and we have to um, look at the hard parts with the easy parts you know so that is those are some of the things that we have to look at so i would just want to recap what we spoke about today because we were talking about self-preservation and self-preservation in the literal sense making sure that you're actually still here um you know during everything that is going on you first you want to be present so we want to encourage you to have active participation in whatever it is you're doing um, and, and people like to say, unless, of course, you're giving blood, then you don't want to give everything. But yes, that's probably the only time that you don't want to be 100% there. But for everything else, be present, be 100% present. Recognize when something could be burnout. Burnout could happen at work, it could happen at home, it could happen in your friend circle, it could happen in your social setting, it could happen at any point. You need to know what your limits are. Set those boundaries. And ask for support. That's if you're dealing with work. In a spiritual and religious sense, we're suggesting meditation and prayer. Number four on the physical was rest. Number five, exercise. Number six, diet. And on the psychological, number seven was support circles. Number eight, journaling. Number nine, self-awareness. And number 10, accepting the things that we cannot change and being okay with those things. And I just want to go back to one quickly with with the journaling one. One of the stories that I gave in in the book that we have out now, Everyday Lessons in Emotional Intelligence. One of the stories I gave from 2002, I actually went back to my journal to read it before I put it in the book. And I was happy that I had, because there were details that I didn't remember everything. So, you know, I was able to go back and see what I had written and how I felt in the moment in 2002 and then mention that story. That's the story where I say I learned self-awareness. One of my friends, my best friend died and I was going to his memorial in in Guyana and his brother met me on a plane. And, you know, he said um, there, there was something where he said. That is not about who gets the story. It's not about the truth. It's about who gets the story. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, that, that I actually got, um, from, from there. So, um, any last words as we wrap up or any closing words, I would say. Oh, for me, um, Uh (laughs) let me, let me, let me start by saying, um, 
want to thank everybody for tuning in for those of you out there and feel free to send us your feedback it's welcome because that's what we mm-hmm. we're here for the feedback exactly and the book is out and you can feel free it's available on all platforms it's everyday lessons now in emotional everyday lessons in emotional intelligence our caribbean perspective and thus far this journey has been quite amazing we have done so much in solo in such a mm-hmm. short space of time mm-hmm. and we are here and we are not going on a hiatus we right. are <laughs> <laughs> we are not part of the hiatus club just yet so we are here <laughs> next so you can look out for us so we are definitely going to be here all right yeah. <laughs> well you you can be on the hiatus club but Maybe not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I, I was listening to what the two of you were saying, and I am so glad because the message and the information that you're disseminating, even I'm going, wow, yeah, that's that's really right on. It's on point. Mm-hmm. And the information that you're disseminating, it is so powerful. I was listening and uh, to somebody doing something, and they were talking about AI mm-hmm. and artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and don't get it confused because the social emotional intelligence is entirely different from the artificial intelligence but there's so many things that people are using as fixes that are artificial Mm -hmm. that they really need to get away from what is artificial and start dealing with what is real because that's what's really going to help Mm-hmm. And these are times when people really need help. And unfortunately, they don't know where to get it. They don't right. know who to talk to. They don't know where to go. They they may have some shame. They may have some embarrassment. But people really need to get the help. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with getting the help. There's nothing wrong with understanding what this is all about. So if, for me, I, I think it's, your information is just so, so very powerful. And Taryn brings it home and you talk about your own experiences, mm-hmm. which people can relate to. Yes. People can relate. And that's what makes it real. So thank you very much. Cause thank I'm you. so glad that you're doing this. I'm so glad you're doing this. Thanks. It's thank our you. pleasure. All right, guys. So yes. Until next week, as we said, we are not part of the hiatus club just yet. <laughs> but same time, same place. Intentional you're, Talk Radio. That's right. You're here. part. You're part of the club. <laughs> yes. You're part of the club. Be with us. And thank you so very, very thank much. You. It is Catch such you a guys pleasure. Next week. Absolutely. Have a good, good week. We will be back here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. We've got great shows coming up this week. Tomorrow, we've got Mindful Mondays, and we have Menu Mondays, and we've got Change Matters on Tuesday. So right here at Intentional Talk Radio Network. Folks, it's been a great Thanksgiving week. We are so glad that Amala and Taryn are here and we're getting ready for the kickoff for Christmas. And even though we're still in the midst of a little bit of COVID, folks, don't get crazy with it. <laughs> don't get crazy with it. But we will, talk with you very soon. we will talk with you very, very, very soon. Have a good evening and a good week. Thank Bye. you very much. Thanks. Good night. Take care. Bye.